Elite Rugby Banter. It's the podcast about rugby. It's December. There's not much rugby going on, but don't worry. We're here to keep you entertained throughout. Uh, today, we have a bit of a special episode, uh, a little bit different from our normal stock, as you've probably been listening to throughout the course of December, just like our December 8th episode. With me at the moment is Matt. Matt, how are you? Oh, I'm chilled. Cold as balls, but I'm chilled. Yeah, how, how is Korea on December 15th? December 15th. Well, I think I predicted snow, so there should be snow by now. Okay. Actually, December 15th, I should be on my first ever ski trip. I should be snowboarding right now. Yeah, but you're, you're currently setting some time aside in the hotel I just stay at, just to talk to us. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, which I appreciate. Yeah. I'm, I, I should be on leave, um, which I am. So, uh, yeah, I can't complain. Joburg's had some rain, and uh, it's Joburg in summer which is always very pleasant and very nice. Uh, right, we're, we're waiting for Alex. <coughs> Excuse me. He's currently held up at the shops. I think he's very doing some pre-Christmas shopping, so he, he might probably join us relatively soon. Ben, unfortunately... I feel it's a bit late for pre-Christmas shopping. Yeah, well, Alex, he doesn't seem to strike me as the most organized, okay? So maybe that's why he, he hasn't. <laughs> and particularly once everybody goes on holiday, everybody hits the shops. I have a feeling I'm, I'm facing the same fate myself, looking at my Christmas present stocks. I see a few gaps. Yeah, but to be fair, I mean, Alex is in Cape Town, so hitting the shops in Cape Town at this time of the year is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, well, you're in Joburg, your shit's empty. Yeah, it's great, bro. No, anywhere, anywhere I can drive, it's 20 minutes. Could even be into a new province, it'll take me 20 minutes, because there's no traffic. So, it's great. Ben, he's not here, unfortunately. He had a commitment. He didn't elaborate what, but... Um, no, last we heard, his grandfather took. Ah, uh, his grandfather, his father-in-law, disappeared off into the dusk with his computer. Uh, yeah, into the on his catamaran as well. So, yeah. So today, the focus of the episode. I mean, the Rugby World Cup is now essentially almost two months in the past. The glow of the Springboks victory has ended. Uh, many of Faf's undies have been sold. I'm sure all the boxes' livers have finally recovered from that week-long turbo, which by the end they looked exhausted. But more importantly, uh, and I'd like to say, in a, in a way, we're following in the footsteps of, of uh, Squidge. Who, by the way, if you haven't seen his World Cup final video, I know it's been over a month since. Check it out. Uh, it's very good in terms of the analysis. What did the World Cup teach us? More importantly, the old North versus South debate. Hemisphere versus Hemisphere. Where do things stand? Where is the axis of power? So, I guess to start off, Matt, you being close to Japan, probably Japan... Uh, alongside the Springboks, they're one of the most impressive teams at the World Cup. What did Japan teach us about Northern Hemisphere rugby slash Southern Hemisphere rugby? Because they've been quoted by anybody. I'm just, just going to say this. I think Japan, I think, are considered a token Southern Hemisphere team. Yeah. I, which, which makes like, as far as, like, as, as far as feelings go. Like, I think, it, it, like, the Southern Hemispheres ab- adopted them as one of their own. But, you know, they are fairly... North, northish. I mean, fuck, it mm. should be snowing there right now as well. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I think it's more to do with like north versus south is almost a cultural thing where you've got mm. your sort of slow set piece approach up north and the more free flowing running rugby down south. And I think this World Cup was a lot, I almost dare to say, closer. Between the two, I mean, with regards to the whole, I mean, if you look at the previous one, 
the four the four semi finalists were all southern hemisphere teams, so to speak. Yeah. As Aussie, New Zealand, Argentina. And now I think it was only yeah, it was semis was not an even split. Yes. Uh, I think I mean you make an interesting point. New Zealand, I think the 2015 team, and you know, we were chatting about this around the World Cup time. Like, what would have happened if the 2015 All Blacks faced the 2019 oh, Springboks? Well, that would have been very much a clash of styles. But the Springboks do know how to run the ball when given the chance. But of the four major Southern Hemisphere teams, they're probably the oh yeah. We... Hmm? Uh, I was going to say yeah, we're the most northern of yeah. the four Southern sides. No, exactly. We can turn it on if we really need to, like uh, we showed in the last 20 minutes of the final. So I think that's interesting. New Zealand 2015, I feel they were they I mean they were, they were running the ball or floating, but what they did have was a very good forward platform. 2019 I think they did come a little bit unstuck because they couldn't really dominate the game line in their one poorish performance against England. It would have been interesting to see what happened if they'd faced us in the final. As well, but overall I think your point's correct. Uh, Southern hemisphere sides in part due to the weather is the OSI. They still typically want to move the ball. Argentina they're a most interesting case in point. They've played very much like a Northern Hemisphere team. But since joining Super Rugby, they've changed their style to offloading. And in a sense, they've depowered what was one of their greatest strengths of scrum. Like, do you remember the Yagawara season, even the World Cup? Oh, uh, God, yeah. 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 But also, I think we've highlighted it a couple of times, especially in the build-up to the World Cup, where the, the sort of meltdown of their scrum comes from the the loss of that first strike or the inclusion of the, the hooker be having to do the first strike sort of has deep out and sort of ultimately led to their scrum being deep out because they haven't been able to challenge their old witchcraft. Yeah. Um, it's, uh... They've lost that old bit of black magic, which I think we mentioned. Okay, I suppose it's like three months ago, but shit. Yeah. For, 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 for ardent listeners that remember three months ago, we mentioned it. Yeah. And I will complain, but the, the backline play has gotten better. But in terms of their tight five play, uh, and also the creepy maybe just getting a little bit older, it has somewhat regressed. I know that you're trying to yeah. shift styles and it's a gradual process, but they've reverted to more. They, they play a lot more close to Australia, in a sense, compared to New Zealand. Australia played against uh, England in the quarterfinals over the course of the World Cup, where I think their performance against the All Blacks in Perth was when they put it all together. But they play very much high-risk, high-octane rugby, very momentum-driven. And Argentina play a similar style. That's kind of why Australia always seem to come and suck when Argentina play them uh, there. While, yeah. while, while, when Australia go to Argentina, they're always a lot better, which I always find very weird. But then looking at New Zealand, I mean, they tried going through the whole 10-15 acts with Mwanga and Barrett, which didn't quite work. I don't think they had enough time to bet it in. There was, there was talk that... Maybe Ben Smith having a ride on Crossy at 12 in that game against England that would have done better. But they're looking to evolve the game, and especially to beat rush defences in a way. Rush defences have, in a sense, evolved at international level to stop the All Blacks, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere. So looking at the All Blacks now going forward, all the retirements and that sort of thing, how do you see their style maybe shifting? Or will be very much dictated by the players they join? Yeah. So that's a, that's a question no, mark. No, that's a question mark to you. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I know it sounded like Sorry. a statement. It was a question. Yeah, you you ended on a full you, you ended on an audio full stop. Yeah, so I, I had a question mark in my mind. But yeah, do you think it's going to change? It's interesting. Tony Woodcock, not Woodcock, I'm talking crap. Owen Franks. I saw an interview with him uh, last month. Yeah. And he just noted that it was, it was bittersweet watching the box work yeah. because he got dropped from the, the All Blacks team because he wasn't mobile enough. 
But come forward yeah. time, they actually suffered. So, especially... Yeah, they were... hmm? yeah it's strange. But the All Blacks, I'm, I'm expecting big things because they've had Hansen now for what? 12 years? Yeah, 12. Yeah, four was an assistant, eight is head, head coach. Yeah, so he's been there for fucking ever. So, I almost think we're going to see... Come... What is, what's the first time they're going to play? June, July test. Yeah. The 12th June, July, that by the time they have a new coach, then it might not be a huge shift, but definitely rugby championship next year. I reckon we're going to see a big change in the way the New Zealand, not a huge fundamental mm-hmm. shift in the way New Zealand plays, but it's especially how they use their players. Yeah, um, I don't know if we... I don't, I don't think the new coach has been appointed. We do stand to be corrected. We think we might have yeah. lost it by a day or two. At, and let's, let's say at, at time of recording. At time of recording, yeah. Because I know this, this episode is going out on December 15th, but I think we're recording uh, December 10th, 11th. So I think the All Blacks coach has been named tomorrow. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find out then. But I think also that who they choose as coach will be interesting because um, it was between Jamie Joseph... Uh, Scott Robinson and who's the third guy? Ian Foster. I don't think Ian Foster's going to get it. No. Not, no. What did they say? They 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 put out. Didn't they have like thirty something? And they, they invited had 26. like something. They had twenty six originally, and then reports yeah. last month ended up narrowing it down to three. Um, yeah. And it seems the Joseph train is gathering more. He Dave Rennie. I don't know. If, uh, he, he Australia had a look at him, so then he dropped out and all that sort of thing. So I think who they choose as a coach would be interesting because I know that Robinson they weren't a big weren't a big fan of him or, or maybe not as big a fan of them as possible because he's never really improved a team as such. Like he got the Crusaders, we had a fantastic squad. All he needed was some fine tuning, yeah. right? And I mean, he even discovered Sergio Reese, and maybe the same can be while well, well, Jamie Joseph won Super Rugby with the Highlanders, who when he joined were very unfancied. They were near, virtually seen at the same level as the Blues. Well, Foster's not associated with a failed regime. So, Scott, I mean, the, the Crusaders play very much action-packed rugby, but, again, they kick a lot. And we've always said this in yeah. Super Rugby. They're one of the teams that kick the most. They have a powerful forward pack, and it's just very logical rugby. The Hurricanes, case in point, they always... Backline is always heat, but because they don't have that forward platform, they can't really move the ball as much. And the Blues are just a shit show. So... Uh, yeah. But even in South Africa, uh, our style of rugby, I strongly suspect that we'll continue the sort of template that Rassi set up and mainly refining it. What I'm more interested to see is just how all the debutants that come into Super Rugby next year, how they fare, because all the South Ooh. African teams are going to be flipping raw, especially the forward pass. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, me, um, what's it? My mate here, Hanu, he and I had a long chat on the train sort of two weeks ago. That sounds like a podcast. About- Train chats with yeah, Hanu. Train chats with Hanu, yeah. Uh, we had a long chat sort of just looking at like how many guys of the current box squad we would see most probably in four years' time playing for, playing the World Cup again and sort of where their gaps are now and what would happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I yeah, every answer I gave was every time it was like, okay, we use this gap, who's going to take that spot? It was literally, fuck, I can't wait for Super Rugby this season because we will be. I think we're going to see a lot of cats come forward and put their hands up for to play, yeah, play for the box squad yeah. in the even, next four years. Even, even uh, some of the New Zealand Super Rugby teams in certain positions, like the Highlanders back three is going to be completely different. Yeah, Ireland is yeah, completely different. I mean, I think in South Africa, we're going to be looking at eight most probably, as far as me and Hanu mm. could decide, eight most probably the position we're going to be staring at the hardest when it mm. comes to box. 
definitely. There's nine. We actually find out some depth. Ten. Um, Manny Lebok. Ten. Yeah. And he's also. Yeah, ten, uh, uh, who's the Lions? Ten. He got injured. It's a very young oak. He's also very good. His name escapes me, actually. He's one to watch. He'll be playing behind Elton. Um, Elton very much be one of the senior statesmen. The, the, the Bulls' yeah. forward pack pretty much is turning over in its entirety. That's a scary, yeah. that's a scary thing. I, I think what what we're doing is predicting Super Rugby now. What we should be doing is bitching about North and South and how, so, well, how the South well, is. The, so well, this, this taps into, into that debate. All the players that are heading overseas into Northern Hemisphere-style rugby Ball forward, forward orientated, yeah, again, I've, I've already said this, it's suited to the weather, but the transfer well, market has had a huge influence on the sort of style that players play. In a sense, when Fuck the Clerk left South Africa two years ago, a year and a half ago, to sail, suddenly his kicking game has improved beyond measure. He always knew how to pass yeah, but, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, uh, he, but yeah, so in the North, he learned, which is what Northern, what is defined by Northern, or Northern Hemisphere is defined by, is sort of patience. Because, hmm. I mean, Pre-Northern Hemisphere, Faf had fuck all patience. Yeah. He got the ball, he fired it off, he did whatever. Now, at least, when the time comes, he can take a breath. Mm. Uh, and I just, that takes me back to the Wales semi-final. Like, Wales, they weren't... Like, I always looked at Wales and I thought, how does these Oaks get this far? But they don't look great. They really don't. But against France, they should have lost. Against us, we were a penalty away from losing. They've always had England's number. Uh, as well as a team, because look, Gatlin's now left, so I'm beyond that. I'm yeah. intrigued to see how he does with the Chiefs. But I remember Squidge noticing something in his video. I know I keep quoting him, by the way, but his stuff's good. It's really, really yeah, good. It's, 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 he, yeah. He just noted that, what did I read somewhere else? The Wales players, their domestic system is not that strong through the region, so Gatlin essentially picked those players and developed them within the Wales setup. So, yeah. that, and, and look, towards the end of the World Cup, they certainly struggled for depth. But they played a very much no. phase orientated, low error rate, highly well coached system, um, which, in a sense, Ireland's Joe Schmidt, he, he yeah, followed that sort of template. If you have a de- if you have a depth problem, that's what you do because that's the easiest to coach. Is that low error, just basics? Don't don't fuck around with flair and that. The basics will get you as far as possible. So I mean, to Gatlin's credit, that's most probably the best thing he could have done. Yeah, it's true. And Wales, they won Six Nations titles. They grand slammed as well. But I guess, in a sense, it relates to the limited resources. Scotland, I know, they tried to add a bit more expanse to their game. I know their, their back line isn't too bad, but they always suffer up front. But all three of those nations are the other home unions. Ireland, Wales, Scotland. Their playing stocks aren't that great. England are always the ones that are very interesting. Uh, particularly the work Eddie Jones has done with them, particularly the emphasis he placed on the beginning of games, where England always ran as fast winners. That didn't happen against South Africa. But I think probably the, the best passage of play at the World Cup, in a sense, was the first five minutes against New Zealand in the semi-final, where England just played yeah. with high intensity, bashing it up. Carl Sinclair was key, minor two, Lugie playing with pace, getting over the game line. Uh, and they essentially are the what's it, the prototype Northern Hemisphere team when everything falls into place. Big backs, yeah. good execution, good forwards. They might not necessarily offload out the tackle as well as a New Zealand team uh, or even the Australians to a certain degree, but they are the archetypal Northern Hemisphere team at their best. France can do it, but as we saw, in, like, particularly in the quarterfinal against Wales, they scored a, a fantastic try from broken play. They're in control of the game, and then suddenly uh, Vahamina ends up elbowing Wayne right in the face. So, yeah, but, I don't know. Do you 
Oh, hello. Uh, so I, don't call, want, I don't want to interrupt. Like, no, I don't know that you were going to call. That's my thing, though. Because Wales is such also like, also just the least Northern Hemisphere side, just because they self-destruct. Like, I feel like self-destructing is very Southern Hemisphere. Don't you mean France? So, you said Wales. Oh, France. Sorry, Wales. France, France, France. We were talking France, yeah. <laughs> like, if, it's, it, like, just being temperamental and self-destructing feels like something we've we've perfected down in the South. And then, and then France just shows us there's a better way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but how much of that is, is because we are, like, in most cases, the Southern Hemisphere team um, is in the lead or has the advantage or is the favorite? Because you, yeah. you can't self-destruct if you underdog, right? Yeah, then you're just not, a, then you're just not punching up like you were supposed to. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I mean, it's a perception thing, obviously. But I, I don't know. So I might have missed a bit of the the preamble. Sorry, guys. Um, oh, no, we, oh, go for it. There was much rambling. So yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Is, is it just the, the three of us? Yeah, I'm just yeah, the three of us. Didn't make it, unfortunately. Okay, no worries. Um, so yeah, it sounded to me like just when I joined that you were selling like you were selling some of the northern hemisphere teams a little bit short, like saying that England's the only one that kind of you know pitch up or challenge. I mean, no, 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 no. Yeah. more on a, style, on a style basis, mainly due to playing stocks. Like the Ireland, Scotland, Wales, yeah. they really have to adopt something very specific. Well, England can play a far more rounder game just because of the greater depth and resources they do. Okay. But that, that was generally the idea. It's like looking at New Zealand, oh, okay. Ireland, and Ireland and Wales in particular, how they play very much low era, well coached sort of rugby. That was, and Scot- it was yeah. Scotland to a certain degree as well. Uh, okay, 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 okay. That's fair enough. Because I was going to say, like, we. Like we we shouldn't we shouldn't forget how how close we came to not even making the final. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, and that's on the back of uh, you know, a Welsh a Welsh team that that was crippled by injuries. Yeah. Um, but mentally, but yeah, mentally, sorry. So mentally on. So what's uh, just just catch me up. So what's what's our thesis for this episode? The thesis the thesis thus far uh, is we started off on Japan and then we took it a little bit of deviation talking about. How the Southern Hemisphere teams, Bar South Africa, will run the ball a bit more. Then we we did note that oh, Argentina okay. have tracked away from a forward orientated game, especially as they got more involved with Super Rugby to something more resembling closely to how Australia play. Actually, not okay, quite New okay. Zealand. While New Zealand, we just we noted the whole hypothetical between the 2015 All Blacks versus South Africa 2019, about yeah. how New Zealand had a complete team then. And we did, we did, we asked Matt just how, what he thought how New Zealand style might change. I know it's dependent on the coach. This is being recorded on um, December 10th. Uh, so I know the coach has been named one or two days later, so we don't have that. So how dependent it is on the style of coach as well. Mm. And then the, another point, we, we tried to get stuck into, but I think again, took a diversion as is I want. The <laughs> transfer market, how a lot of players... Mm moving from south to north helped change style. And we, we didn't quite get stuck into that yet, of how it also helped to change the style in the northern hemisphere on the club scene and maybe how that filters through. This is where I wanted to go and how that filters through into the national teams, in particular maybe in England or France or, or even just in the leagues. It's, it's like okay. the, the meta thing. Okay, so we, we're just talking about style. We're not talking about yeah. like superiority or, no, or anything no. Like. no, no, I don't think so. No, very much style. I know this, yeah. the southern hemisphere... I think, we can, I think we can close off with... with Superiority okay. and just claim we're okay. the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can call just... it the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see how it goes. Um, yeah, okay. No, it's, it's interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough 
to currently identify Wales and Ireland as having a particular style mm. of rugby separate from their coaches, which is probably what you guys have pointed out already. Because Gatlin and Joe Schmidt have been such a big part of yeah. bringing them to where they, they currently are, or like to the World Cup 20, uh, 2019, which for both teams felt like it was a bit of a peak. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, it's okay. It's Ireland missed their peak. They they were at their peak a year or two ago. Um, and Joe Schmidt kind of got his timing wrong, but you could see what he was doing. Like, he was building towards 2019. He just kind of fell short. Whereas Gatland also, like, very much built towards 2019 Rugby World Cup, where he he took he took Wales, I think, not, not necessarily in terms of placement, but in terms of, um, like, ability and preparation, the closest they've ever gotten to, to winning the William Webber's Cup. Or the yeah. Webber's Cup. Yeah. Um, so it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens next in Ireland and Wales. Like, they've kind of got to start rebuilding again, in a, in a way, with completely different coaches and coaching staff, and in some cases, senior players. Like, we're not, not going to see Sexton at 2023, I don't think. No, no, no definitely uh, And, you know, obviously... Uh, I think I think Chris even said in his preview for for um, oh it was during the World Cup when when Sexton I think picked up a bit of a niggle yeah. and he was like you know Carberry isn't going to show you what Sexton shows you so how much does that change Ireland's game um, and with with France I think I think actually the same like in in a way yeah I think you guys pointed out that England's the only kind of fixed point in Northern Hemisphere rugby in a way. Yeah. Just because they've got so many, they've got such a such a populated conveyor belt of players and coaching staff that you, you're very seldom going to see any wild deviations in terms of playing style. But with France, I think we're moving away from the France of old, with like the you know any given day Frenchman you know flips a coin when he walks on the on the field that kind of thing. Because <laughs> if you look at their juniors, like the last three or four years, like they've been dominant yeah. in the junior, and they've got like a lot of. Um, Really the good problem, forwards coming through as well, which has no, with, never really been their strength. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, the problem with France is they struggle to translate the, having that depth with the juniors to actually getting playing time because their clubs all spend far too much money on foreign players. Yeah, so I don't know if that is true. I, I mean, it, it yeah. makes sense, but I haven't. I don't watch enough of their rugby to know. Like, yeah. So uh, what's his name? Jordan Joseph was the... The um, junior player of the year two years ago, right? Mm. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people speculated at the time that he'd actually be ready for uh, for the Rugby World Cup this year. He plays for Racing Metro, but I don't know how much because I don't watch them play at all. Yeah. Um, and he obviously wasn't there this year, but they had like, what's his name, Demba Bar? Mm. Uh, no, he's the football player. Yeah, Demba Bar. Demba, yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> Uh, Denver, like it's Bumba or something like their prop. Yeah. Um, but he's quite a young guy as well. Uh, hopefully they can sort that out because that'd be fun. I yeah. So see. they, like I don't. know, It seems like they had they this World Cup they already had and like obviously um like Intermac yeah. and um yeah. the scrum half uh, Antoine Dupont and like those guys are all below like the age of twenty three, twenty four, something like that. So they've got a pretty strong foundation for the for the future, mm. and yeah, I don't know. I think I think I think we're going to see a different style of, of French rugby. I think they're going to be really strong in 2023, and it'll be like much more clinical because they they're getting rid of the guys like Juan Huguet, Huguet or whatever, 
um, and like the sort of wild cards in the team, and, and develop, it seems like they're developing guys who just have a bit more sense. <laughs> I feel like they need to get they just need to get a coach who can tie it all together. In a sense, that's their biggest problem. If they can find a coach, or just yeah. a coach that won't fight with his players. Well, that, that's Actually, yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. I forgot about the, the coach. The coach every every World Cup year, Sony, the coach explodes. They change the coach halfway through the cycle this time. So if they can get a coach yeah. who just can be more of a diplomat, I don't think Eddie Jones. So, so, the, well so as little of a French coach as possible. Pretty much. They, they, but would the French also, accept anyone else? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like I think England's one of the few sort of sort of top four teams, top five teams that could get away with a foreign coach. Yeah. Well, well Robbie Dean's... Robbie, uh, I yeah, Robbie Dean's years in Australia for a while. And, I, yeah, look, it didn't quite work out for him, but you always felt that the Aussies had it out for him from the get-go. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, so the, the team, the, the people around will also get a, get upset. Like, and sort of the community and that mm. so forth will not accept a foreign-born coach. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Alex, since now you're here, I was going to ask now, will Cups come and pass? How do you see, first of all, the Springbok start of play evolving? Then we'll just talk a bit about New Zealand, and then we could even look at England. I know Eddie Jones is there, so maybe it won't change at all. It's just about getting the formula right. Since those are kind yeah. of the three major signposts in the, in the two hemispheres. How do you see that uh, the style's changing? Particularly with the huge player turnover that's taking place, and also the change of coach. Uh, at New Zealand, um, even South Africa, too. For New Zealand, yeah. Well, start, you can start there. You can go through that. Yeah. Oh, um. Geez, that's an ambush of a question. Uh, like, so, so, who are they losing in terms of key personnel? They're losing Vitalik for a year. He sticks out. Vitalik, Reed, Whitelock. Um, oh, Whitelock. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Then Aaron Smith. still got Aaron Smith. Yeah, he's thirty-one, thirty-two. Yeah, they're fine there. Uh, okay. okay. Center, they're losing. Well, they're, I don't know. Sonny Bill is always a bit of an enigma. He's gone. Crotty's gone. Isn't he gone? gone? Yeah, he's gone to like Hollywood. Last I saw, now yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I don't think they've changed their formula, right? I think they've just kind of changed their personnel. Yeah. Um, and like, so Anton Leonard Brown, who had a very up and down tournament. He started yeah. off, like, most people didn't really have him in the 23 because of, like, Crotty, Sonny Bull, and Goodhue were seen as the favorites. As you guys know, I championed him to start. Yeah. When he did then play, he was unbelievable. But then when they, they were like, they obviously recognized, okay, geez, Anton Leonard Brown's playing too well to leave him out, so they backed him against England, and then he, he was terrible. So does that make him a bad player? Obviously not. Does that make him a different kind of player to... You know, uh, like a Ryan Crotty, or like the—I you know, I don't think that that disqualifies him from being an all-time great one day. I just think he's too early in his path. So, over the course of the next like four years to the next World Cup, I think we're going to see a lot of the guys like Anton Leonard Brown, maybe George Bridge, Brandon um, I think Brandon Ennall. Well, once yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm thinking mostly of the guys who are at the World Cup now, but who didn't necessarily perform, like Jordy Barrett as well. I think those guys are going yeah. to mature. They're going to mature to the point where they can actually perform to the same level that like Ben Smith, not Sonny Bill because he's he's Gone. one of a kind, but like Ryan Crotty, um, you know, even even like a Shannon Frizzell. Mm. I can see Shannon Frizzell maturing in the next four years to be 
you know, as close to a replacement to Jerome, Jerome Kaino as they've had. Yeah. But it, it's, so it's going to be, the next four years are going to be much more of a journey on an individual level for the All Blacks than as a team. I think they're going to keep playing the way they've always played. Mm. And they're just going to give those guys time to catch up and mature. Mm. I know you mentioned Jordy yeah. Barrett. I, I have a sneaky suspicion he's going to get overtaken by a guy like Will Jordan, personally speaking. As well, Judas well so I know it's a, a random aside, but Jordy Barrett, yeah, yeah, he's good. But the talent coming out at the low level, and I'm very excited for next year, even for South African rugby. Uh, yeah, who, the next generation. Essentially, it is Star Wars, the next generation. Star Trek, sorry, the next generation that's happening next year. Like the, the four you almost, packs. You almost, you almost triggered me there. Yeah, sorry, I, ne- I nearly, nearly got confused. Uh, well, let's, well let's, let's move over to South Africa. I don't know, um, I said we... What's... Uh, Rassi's there as the God, what even is the... I was going to say something about... Have we all watched the new Star Wars movie, but I can't even remember what the fucking name is. I do, uh... oh, it's not a movie. You're talking about The Mandalorian. Is that No, not The Mandalorian. No, it's December now. I don't know Alex, remember? Oh, yeah, it's the last... It's like... The last Jedi? The, 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 the Return of Skywalker? The Rise something of Skywalker? Like, yeah, the Rise of Skywalker. Something like that. That would have been that. No, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's the one. Um... Uh, you don't you don't want to get me started on that. Okay, no, we won't. We won't. Uh, oh, uh, the, Mandalorian, Mandalorian, the Mandalorian's great. Is it? Okay, yeah, the Mandalorian has... The Mandalorian's fantastic. If you like me, it's run by you, now. Loved, you loved the original trilogy. I like in fact, if you like, if you, if you like the, the, the Star Wars movies, essentially in decreasing order of when they were made, right? Mm. So you like them less and less every time a movie came out, which is basically how I feel about them. Then you'll love the Mandalorian. Okay, well, uh, if you, if even like, if you're not like me, you probably still enjoy it. I like the Star Wars universe. Who's the? Can you just tell me at the lines who is the reserve ten? The young guy, his name escapes me. He got injured. Sean Reynolds. Oh, 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 Johnny Lombard. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he gets it before game time. But talking about South Africa, um, overall at the national level, how will essentially we probably have our template now? So how will Rassi, the coach, maybe not as important, how will that evolve? Mainly just tweaking. I don't think we need to really change anything. We found something that works. Yeah. Um, it's essentially so, a 2008-2009 question. We're back, it's back to the future. Yeah. We're back to the same place. It's, 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 it's difficult. Um, I'm not convinced that we fit in on the same tier as New Zealand and England in that respect. Because like we said, so England and New Zealand have the luxury of being able to basically create an identity, a rugby identity, and stick yeah. to it no matter what. And then they develop the players who can execute. I don't think we do that. I think we have to create a strategy for the players that we have, which is what we've always struggled at previously under previous coaches, which is what Rusty did so well. So looking at the 2019 Rugby World Cup winning Springbok side, do we win that Rugby World Cup? with Rusty as coach any other year in the past when we don't have Fafta Klerk and, you know, Andre Pollard and Philly LaRue, for example. And Malcolm so, Well, actually, no, I'll take that back. Bongi. Or the, yeah, the yeah. That, that's, no, it is. But, like, I mean, I think I think our forward pack is, is relatively interchangeable with, like, previous iterations because, like, mm. what you really need is... is Essentially, eight eight big guys to start and six big guys to finish, and we we could do that I think, in in previous years, but like we've never had a scrum half like Fafter Clerk. And when we won in two thousand seven, we had Fury Dupree, who was completely different to Fafter Clerk, like yeah, yeah. different different players. Like 
they almost didn't even play the same position, and we won a different way. So, I think I don't think we can really gaze into the crystal ball so much with South Africa because it, it's going to be so dependent on who emerges as like the next generation. And if you look at the young guys, if, we, you know, if we're looking at um, like. Hershey Yanchis, for example, mm. again, very different to Fraftekluk and different to um, to Fred Dupree. So now you got a, a scrum half who's like almost more in like the TJ Perinara role. Yeah. And does that mean? Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, TJ's not not too shabby, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, he's so like, does that change the way you play? Like, who's going to be our fly half? If because I mean, Andre Pollard, first of all, is not even a, fr- a proper fly half. He's a cin- he's a center. Yeah. And he plays fly half. So, so if you don't uh, so if you don't have like a ten, Squidge join this phone call. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you, if you take, I mean, look at look at our ten. No, 12, no, like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But I agree. We got with you we got Pollard, who's basically a twelve, and then we got Dallander, who's basically a six, and like we can't guarantee that we'll have those. Well, and I'm those, I'm as a thirteen who could be a twelve or ten as a distributor. Yeah, like I'm I'm like his own thing. So so if, if we're losing Dallander, like who do we if we have like let's say hypothetically one to see Simulani just kicks off in the next four years and forces his way into the bot team and he's playing twelve with um at thirteen. We don't play first phase ball to the twelve anymore. We're not gonna give one to see Simulani ball and tell him just run to a brick wall of forwards from other teams. We only do that with Damien Dallander and maybe Andre Esterhazen. So and if we let's say um yeah, let's say Damien Vilimsa sticks at 10 for the Stormers and he gets four years of uninjured Super Rugby under his belt. And in 2023, he's our starting fly half. We're not going to give him the ball and tell him to run straight into the air forwards like we do with Pollard. Yeah. I'd rather have It's a complete for, different... I'd rather, I'd rather but like, think, think about it. I, I hear you, though. Yeah. I hear but you. But like, let's say, just hypothetically, if we got a, if we were running a Hershey Yanchi's 9, Damien Vilimsa 10, Wanisi Lissimulani 12... That's a completely different rugby identity to mm. Fafta Clerk 9, Pollard 10, DDA 12. So, Rossi's just going to, whoever takes over for Rossi's just going to throw the 2019 playbook out the window. In, and rightly so. And that's Because that's how we've got the trouble in the past, is using players the same way their predecessors were used, and then being like, oh, you know, I don't understand why, you know, Zane Kirchner isn't Percy Montgomery. This is so weird. Um, yeah. in, in that scenario, uh, Yankees, Vilimsa, and then who's your 12? Similani. Uh, Similani. That's, yeah, like, I mean, that's, that's a long shot. That sounds like an, an All Blacks team that if they get front foot ball, they'll destroy you. But if they get backward ball, they will wilt and get crushed. Though, because that, that sounds like a very forward oriented team, not as physical. But I, I, I'm just, well, well just hear me out. Hear me out. Because in, in this scenario, Hachiba Daimani's our, our wing. So. <laughs> so we've got the we've got the bulk in the wings. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see him. I'd rather have Willems at fifteen. I think he he's a much better fifteen than ten. There's also we have uh apart from Gianni Lombard, there's Manny Libak as well coming through at ten, Alton's still around, so we have some depth developing there too, along with all the overseas guys. Uh, which is have interesting. We, haven't we kind of already decided that Tyron Green's gonna be the next Springbok fullback? Oh uh, that's true. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, I'll DMAC. I'm glad you mentioned DDA, because I think you noted it really at the beginning of the World Cup tournament. Is you see it? What happens if he gets injured? If he had gotten injured, we would have been fucked, because we did, did not yeah. have, have a like for like replacement for him at all. Yeah, look, I mean, Francois Stein, yeah, good on him to become the second South African to win a, a World Cup medal, but like he didn't do much. No, he was there as like a backup plan that we never needed, which is fine. Well done, yeah. Tarasi. 
But yeah, like we definitely we would have been totally screwed. Damon Dallander was hands down our best player of the tournament. Um and yeah, probably ought to be ought to have been nominated for player of the year. But so I think is, Peter Steph obviously better over the whole year. This is why Jack could use DDA two. This is only one DDA. <laughs> I saw this coming a year and a half ago. You did. All our all our prophecies seem to come true after the fact. <laughs> yeah, even though even we don't even realise it at the time. Yeah. Looking at England, um one area I'll start with is their loose trio. Um, I know that didn't quite really work out in the final for them, but Tom Curry and Underhill. Very interesting. It's almost like a pooper combination, except they're a bit bigger. And look, they're also crazy young. I know Curry's 21. I don't know how Underhill yeah. is. But I like. I, I just like the balance. They are Same biggish way. men, but they attack the breakdown to try to steal the ball, yeah. which personally speaking, I always like when teams try to compete in that way. It makes things a bit more rounded. Um, they so, are terrifying. Yeah, so I'm interested to know. Also, Matt, uh, Carl Sinclair, do you think you're going to see more for... Is it almost like what New Zealand tried to do with their, four, well, their, their props in particular? Sorry, when you went here, Alex, you mentioned Owen Franks mm. and his demise because they wanted someone with mobility. But Sinclair has the mobility and the size. Actually, hypothetical, Matt, are we going to have props having careers similar to wings where they're big and have mobility, but because they're doing both jobs, their careers will be shorter? Yeah, I wouldn't be – look, I mean, yeah, because if, you, if you're focusing on being more mobile and that, they are going to be more prone to injuries and that and are going to lose out on the cra- the scrummaging side of it in the long term. So I think you might end up with shorter careers. But, hey, who knows? But do you think that's that's the way it's going to go? Cause I don't know. At... I, think, I think a more balanced approach is still better because, yeah, I mean, if you look at how we – so, well, then, no, they had Coles on who take or Cole or Coles. Is he Cole or Coles? Cole. Cole. But isn't, isn't Cole supposed to be. He's like, supposed to be a scrummager, not a mobile yeah. picture. Uh, so much for destroyed. that. Idea. Yeah, we fucked that up. So, yeah, I don't know. I would argue that. I mean, if you look. I still think our approach is the best approach because we, we do focus on scrummaging, but our guys are still fairly mobile. They're, most, they're not the most mobile, but. Yeah. There is they are they do still move around like so we've got it's a balanced split but it's sort of like a sixty forty preference bias because I mean our loose heads are quite yeah. mobile actually all things considered and then you had the yeah, unsung like, uh, hero of the tournament Franz Malherber our tight head prop yeah. he had a very good tournament for as sure. well so yeah like I said I don't know like they Sinclair. Sinclair's almost an. I would argue Sinclair's an anomaly. It's not something you base your whole system around. You enjoy that you've got him now, but you don't. I feel bad. Yeah, you, don't, don't, you don't look for more. You don't like, change the whole philosophy around him. He's like a once in a generation. I feel or bad for Sinclair. And also, like, because he, he's a very good scrummager in his own right. Mm. And if he were to stop scrummaging as well and become like super try scoring machine, they would probably drop him. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think any team can afford to 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 sacrifice set pieces for general open play. I don't think anyone will do that. Yeah. Um okay, well we're actually we're slowly coming well, towards the end. Well Hansen tried that, I think I think we can argue Hansen tried that by dropping Franks. But Franks wasn't even scrumming that well. Like I think Franks yeah. was just past it. Yeah, I Franks is past it, but I mean, that Hansen's reasoning for dropping Franks was that not that he wanted a better scrummager, that he wanted someone yeah. more mobile. And so, yeah, I mean, H- H- Hansen's reasoning, whether or not it was how it played out in 
Yeah. <laughs> in reality, it's just, yeah, that was his reasoning. So yeah. Hansen seems to be one of the coaches open to mm. that shift. Uh, mm. We're coming to, to the end of this debate, so I, I just want to pose one hypothetical question and get some final thoughts from you. And my question focuses on... God damn it, I always get confused. I'll just say the six worldwide. I know Peter Steff plays a seven, because South Africa switches yeah, it around. Yeah, so blind side. Yeah, I, I wonder why. It must be interesting. Do you think Peter Steff's toys revolutionized that position that people... Essentially, Australia tried to copy it through... Bollocks. Sorry, the name escapes me. Lucan Salakai Lotto. Thank you. And also Courtney Laws being shifted to six as well. New Zealand struck... They were looking at Luke Jacobson. Um, before his concussion, suddenly, even Shannon Frizzell. Is Peter Steff's toy, in a sense, people have tried to copy that recipe, but is it possible due to him being, there's only being one Peter Steff's toy? In a sense, like there's only one Jerome Kino, for instance. Do you think that is he's more of an outlier uh, than actually a system shift in how forward play works? In that sense. From, from, from an so, uh, yes and no, but I, I, so I don't think he's the revolution. I think he's the last man standing. What? He's like the last yeah. samurai, or whatever. Because originally, like blindside flank, having a dedicated blindside flank was the way to go. Yeah. Um, so, like as you pointed out, like Jerome Kaino was like just shy of two meters tall. Um, you know, and like uh, Juan Smith for us was also like just shy of two meters tall. Sorry, it was normal to have. You mentioned Juan Smith. Oh, I was always one of my favorite players. <laughs> so. Um. But yeah, you know, like the John, John Smith kind of, or like even like Donny Rousseau, mm. he played a lot of eight, but he was like often used as blindside for the, the, the Bulls. Yeah. And like that was the norm originally in, in rugby. But as the game got quicker um, and turnovers became like a much bigger part of the game. So the, once once the rucks started being uh, refereed a lot differently, so like around the you know, mid-2000s, I guess, I don't know, mm. somewhere around there. A lot more teams started thinking like along the lines of like the the mobile flanks, so like you know the Dusatois of the game, those sorts of guys, and blindside flanks became like smaller and smaller, and you know we even dabbled with like Scott Berger as, as a blindside for a long time. Mm. Well, he was kind of he was just like the everyman's loose forward; he could just play anywhere. Yeah, but um, and even even like Dwayne. Dwayne is like a little bit shorter than most traditional South African blindsides, but we, we used him there a lot when, like, when we played with Whiteley at eight. Um, so that was the trend. So that was the revolution in rugby was moving away from the big blindside flank towards like a utility Adi Severe Sia Khaleesi, who, as we remember, mm. he played, he made his first few appearances for the Springboks as blindside. Um, so, like. Peter Steff is the is is the last of the, of the breed currently, and he was able to do it because of what you said, like the fact that he doesn't sacrifice mobility or um, longevity you know, or stamina for his size and power, and that is quite unique currently, because most countries, most teams who have a big guy like him who's somewhat mobile would either prefer to play them at lock, the way mm -hmm. that um, England do with Mauro Toje, who, and I maintain Mauro Toje should be a blindside flank, I think, because I, I buy into the Peter Steff mold of blindside mm -hmm. flank, and I think I think that England would be much more effective. Okay, I, I've changed my, my stance on this now because of, of Underhill and how good he is, but I think that historically England would have been better if they'd played Mauro Toje at, at blindside 
and then had like Law, Laws and uh, Longebury at as their second row. That's you, like a powerful pack. You could even have a Tojo as an eight. But he's probably good enough. Uh, maybe, yeah. Maybe. Uh, but I mean, okay, Bonk obviously Vudi Polo's kind of got that locked down. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like, so they, and then, and like, um, I'm trying to think of a few other examples. No, I'm, just think, I'm thinking of Wales, because they had Sam Warburton, who, who was outstanding. Uh, may he rest in peace. CJ Stunder, I know, but he was a, was he a six or a seven? No, so CJ yeah. Stunder's an eight. And then I'm just trying to, who, and who, who, I, who, I think, I, I think Sam, Sam Warburton, I think, played open side. Open I don't side. think he played blind uh, side. Sorry. I'm just trying uh, to think of who Ireland had. Yeah, um, Warburton, no. No, Warburton is no, so, six, isn't he? So, yeah, okay, so I stand corrected. But, but, but it doesn't change anything, right? Because yeah. Warburton yeah. was part of that generation of like of hybrid yeah. blindsides. Yeah. So that yeah. proves our point, right? The teams were moving away. Warburton, hang on, let me just look him up. Uh, Warburton, yeah, okay, so Warburton was 188 meters tall. No, sorry, one, not 188, 1.88 meters tall and weighed 103 kgs. Oh, no, he played blindside. No, yeah, open side who no, he was open side who was capable of playing blind side. Yeah, but you see, this is my point: is that they were they were happy to pick a one a, a blind side who wasn't even one point nine meters tall. Peter yeah. Steff is like is is I think he's two meters tall. Yeah, um, he, yeah. Must, Someone he must. Call be, Someone call He's Ant. exactly two meters tall, and he weighs one hundred twenty kgs. So if you're playing Sam Warburton against Peter Steff Toy, you're giving up twelve centimeters of height, and probably. 20 and, kilos, yeah, and like to almost 20 kilos in, in, in weight. And Warburton's not that much quicker or more agile than Peter Slip to Toy. So, like, what are you doing? Like, what's where's the benefit to you? And that's so Sam Warburton is the same generation of player as, um, you know, as like the Underhill carry combination or the Pooper combination, where you play two of them in the pack to try and, and emphasize turnovers. Um, and it was the same thing that we were doing at the time with Sia Khaleesi at blindside, but we've luckily moved away from that. Mm. So I, I think that, yeah, Peter Sleptitoy hopefully will, the fact that he not only won a World Cup, you know, playing a position that most people said he shouldn't be playing, he shouldn't be playing lock, but he actually won player of the year. I think that's going to send a message to a lot of teams that they need to go back to the old style of blindside flank. And you can't afford to, if you're going to compromise anything in your pack, it shouldn't be the grunt. It shouldn't be the power. Uh, you'd rather look for somewhere else to compromise. Mm. Unfortunately, not all teams have the have the resources. So Australia, we already said Salakai Lotto at seven. Oh, that's sorry at six. Not very good. But before that, they had Ned Hannigan. It was even worse. Yeah, I'm saying like, so, <laughs> like Ned Hannigan. I mean, shame the poor guy. Like you, you look at him and you like he's a lock playing loose loose forward, but he's like he's not big or strong even... enough to be lock. But yeah, he's, he's not. not... Like mobile enough to be a loose forward. Like he, he probably just shouldn't have been playing rugby. But I don't know. Like just it's put him on the wing or something. something Australia yeah. likes slow wings. Let's just put him there. It's fine. And then it's the same thing that 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 New Zealand has struggled with in since losing Jerome Kano, um, who was also quite a tall tall guy. There is yeah, Luke Jacobson. Uh, yeah, I don't know. He's also a bit on the short side. I see him as more of an eighth man. Um, and Shannon Frizzell like. Shannon Frizzell's kind of RD Severe 2.0. Um, like you just got to get him on the field. He's a hybrid kind of player, but I don't think he's a traditional blindside flank either. So they're still looking for that guy. All right. Um, well, having answered that question, final thoughts, north v. south, is it even correct to put in the paradigm of one's better than the other, or is this the game evolving? I'll start with you, Matthew. 
Is one better than the other, or is that the wrong question to ask? I think you can say, argue that there's a snapshot where one is better than the other, any sort of at any single point in time. But as far as you know, the whole argument for for what what hemisphere is the best at rugby? I would still argue that there it's there is no better side or no better hemisphere, north or south, long term. But they both just somehow approach rugby slightly differently. Okay, so that, the wrong question to ask. <laughs> for me, yeah. For me, I can't pick a side. I would. Okay. I want to say you know southern hemisphere because you know that's. Is it patriotism? If, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, what's the, what's the hemispheric? Yeah, what's the hemispheric <laughs> equivalent of patriotism? But yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I would uh, yeah, argue that, yeah, you can't really, you can argue right now because SA is on top that we the Southern Hemisphere is better. Mm. So, okay, so first of all, by that argument, we've always been better, right? Because, not always, mm-hmm. but like, there was a brief period in 2003 where a Northern Hemisphere team were the world champs. Other than yeah. that, it's always been the Southern Hemisphere team. Yeah, um, the shifting world rankings every yeah, year. Yeah. So okay, I mean, I'll 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 be a bit of devil's advocate to to Matt's uh, diplomat. I uh, so first of all, there's never been a, an all Northern Hemisphere World Cup final. It's always been either North South or South South. Um, okay. So that indicates that indicates something. It's hard to say exactly what, but it indicates something. <laughs> I'm also I'm gonna say I'm gonna be a bit kind of provocative because um, I don't I don't entirely believe this but it, it's just something worth noting. Um, but I think there's there's a Darwinism argument to be made. I think that by virtue of being former colonies of the North, um, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand, to one degree or another, um, received those. Europeans who were, you know, sort of, there was a bit of selection bias. Um, the ones who came south, you know, to the New World looking for opportunities were possibly some of the more bold, uh, or maybe they just had nothing to lose, or, you know, in Australia's case, a lot of them were, were convicts and criminals, so they were pretty rough to begin with. Um, so I think there's like, there's a degree of, of selection that happened with colonialism. And I think that was then enhanced by the difficulties of living in the new world. So, you know, I mean, Australia in particular, like everything's fucking trying to kill you. So if you survived being sent on the ships to the, the massive island prison and then survived the prison and then survived the fucking outback, there's a good chance that you're going to be pretty tough. Um, so I think there's a, like a breeding, a breeding component to it. Mm. Um, and then on top of the colonialism, just or to enhance the colonialism point, I want to point out that not so you know on top of the fact that there's never been like a North North final, how many of South Africa's World Cup winners over the last three World Cups that we've won have been English, like okay. English speakers? <coughs> uh, let's see, Joel Stransky. Uh, Joel Stransky, uh, Butch James, yep. you could give. Um, James Dalton. Yeah, I don't know if he's yeah, first language English, but that's, sure. That's a bit of a guess. Yeah. Uh, but, no, look, we don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to do the whole list. It's, it's, uh, Percy McGarvey, I, I get the point you're, you're making. I actually want yeah, to see if get, I can answer this question. Percy? Well, I mean, yeah, we, can, we can maybe take it off air and, and post on Twitter because I don't yeah, take up too I, much time. I'll, I'll take forever, yeah, I think yeah. the, point, the point is pretty clear, right? 
we are not a predominantly English-speaking rugby nation. It's no. dominated no. by white, white Afrikaners, uh, for better or for worse. It's changing over time, particularly with, with regards to racialism, and that's fantastic. But yeah. my point isn't, is, not, is that on top of the fact that you know, the colonialists who came here probably were you know, bred specifically you know, to withstand hardships, essentially, if you believe that kind of argument, but also, like we, we're not our rugby dominance, such as it is, is not reliant on our English um, inhabitants. So it shouldn't surprise us if you buy the fact that the English who came across were slightly hardier than those who stayed behind, which is not entirely true, but just for the sake of argument, they're still dwarfed by the Afrikaners who came across, the Dutch who came across. So the question we should be asking ourselves is why doesn't why, why don't the Dutch play rugby? And if they did, how good would they be? I think they they play too much football. That's probably probably they the... do. But like, just think about it, because they're one of the biggest they're one of the biggest people in the world, right? Uh, like in terms of genetics. Yeah. And I think that plays that plays a big role in, in terms of how good South Africa is. If South Africa had just been an uh, just been an English colony and not a Dutch colony as well, would we still be as, as good at rugby as we are? Mm, probably not. Probably not. Thank probably not. So that's one aspect of. It. And then, sorry, my final point. Um, all three countries, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand, have are very are relatively agrarian compared to the Northern Hemisphere countries. We still have very large farming communities, particularly in South Africa. And on top of how many South African rugby players are Afrikaans and not English, how many of them are from farming communities and not from urban areas? And I think it's, you'll find it's, it's also quite a high proportion. And similar, my guess, similar in New Zealand, you know, it's very big farming communities. Compare that to the UK and France, I think we're seeing like a lot more rugby players coming through channels of you know uh, urban schooling systems and clubs, etc. And I, again, this is all speculation. I don't know enough about Northern Hemisphere to say this with confidence. I wish Michael or Chris were here, but um, my feeling is that you're not seeing as many guys coming from the sort of rural areas and making their way into rugby as you do in South Africa, for example, and New Zealand. And I think that plays a big role. And New Zealand, of course relying heavily on Pacific Islands, where they, one, have the genetic, genetic advantage I was talking about from, in our case, the Dutch, and two, have the lifestyle, um, you know, the, hard, the hardship of, of living in a uh, relatively hostile environment. And then finally, you know, growing up as an individual in that environment makes you even tougher. Yeah. So I think, I think those components, all of that combined, makes me believe that there are inherent advantages in the South, in terms of rugby, but that the North has a comparative advantage in terms of resources, um, and particularly financial and and academic, so coaching. I think they think about the game a lot more than we do, and those advantages are counter to our natural advantages, which is why lately, as, as we've seen the natural advantages decreasing, um, we've seen a flattening out of the difference between North and South. That's what I think. Cool. Uh, yeah, sorry, that, that was that's a lot to take in. So I, I have no sorry. comment, but I'm sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> sorry about that. There's definitely sense in there. No, yeah, there has to be. Um, yeah, I, 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 I didn't even go down to the sociological level, um, as you did. I think Sinclair, on Alex's point, Sinclair, I think, is one of the few in the English squad that's actually not from like a traditional... So, rugby center or whatever. I know he started playing rugby in high school. Essentially, they pull like late in high school. They pulled him in from a school. He hadn't played rugby there. Just saw him and was like, "Come play rugby," and like switched him to a better school. 
Okay. Ah, so I know, uh, like, um, Ellis, is it Genge? I always say Genge. Yeah. yeah, Genge, not Genge. <laughs> Genge. No, you don't, you don't hit, you don't hit all three Gs. You just sort of get and then you dnge. Like Stonehenge. It's Stonehenge. Ellis Genge comes from a pretty rough background, for example. Yeah. So um, essentially, if you want to be a British prop, you've got to come from a shitty neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, um, I yeah. There's I, something. I, I kind of pivot just to, to Matt's point. It's always a swinging pendulum. Like the box lost to Wales throughout most of the World Cup cycle and then beat them in the semi final, which I think yeah. has more to do with Wales coaching, our coaching at the time. So I know Russia yeah. lost them twice, but the first time was in Washington, which doesn't really count. I'm just glad he, he capped a few guys once, like Dan Prep, so we won't see them play for England and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's just a swinging yeah. pendulum, but the but uh, the Southern Hemisphere always time it better. And I think there is a lot to be said, Alex, just in terms of the origins of people's players as well. Mm. South Africa's more South Africa, New Zealand, Australia uh, being formal former colonies. Uh, there's a lot more yeah. mix happening. I guess you want to call it that from a very 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 high level. Okay, that's going to do it for this episode on December 15th. We, I know we're recording on December 11th for this for Elite Rugby banter. Thanks very much for listening. Next week on the 22nd, um, so I don't think this changed. Based on I like making 8th, so. promises. Yeah, we made, prom- we made promises on December 8th, and I ended, it ended up changing. I think for the 22nd, with it coming up to Christmas, the episode is What I Want for Christmas. It, and I put in brackets, is you exclamation mark and that's pretty much i assume we'll be focusing a lot on uh, super rapey and the like <sighs> so uh alex thanks very much uh yep. just for thanks for thanks Adam. good yeah my pleasure sorry to drag the whole thing out as i tend to do my bad no you added you added i think yeah it was going nowhere fast without you yeah we were just like what do you think bro i'm like well you know Dim- I'm like, yeah, Dim- yeah. diplomacy reigned until you arrived Stuff. Oh, that's that's my specialty. We were, very, we were very diplomatic. Uh, Matt, thanks, <laughs> thanks for your match. No worries. Good. And uh, for me, Adam, uh, thanks very much for listening. Uh, we will catch you next week. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to bother telling you what it's about. I just did, but it might not happen. But we will be here next week <laughs> to get you through the rest of the year. We will see you next week.